0: You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit RedemptionHillDSM.org. And hey, Good morning to all of you. Morning. morning. It's good to see you. After a short break, we are, as you can tell, back into the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, In particular, we're in the Lord's Prayer. I think there's been three, four sermons specifically on the the content and the details of the Lord's Prayer, including today, which will focus on forgiveness. There'll be one more sermon on the Lord's Prayer, and then we'll continue right along into Matthew 6 and then eventually Matthew 7. As you know, we've already gone through Matthew 5. So Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, As we walk through the remaining sections and chapters, there's a smattering of topics that we'll encounter. As I said, today is on forgiveness. Um, I'll preach on fasting and anxiety, like two separately, right? Two different topics. Uh, We'll see what Jesus says about judging other people, right? Um, The golden rule, that's coming up. And then I'll end the sermon series talking about the authority of Christ. Like, Jesus just got done preaching the most famous sermon ever, and then it ends talking about the authority of Christ and his kingdom. And so we'll talk about how that ties in to the entire uh, sermon. So a lot of different topics ahead, and all these topics will shape the preaching diet in the weeks and months in front of us. And if there has been one thought that I've placed in front of your eyes since the beginning of the sermon series, this particular one, I just want to remind you of it, because we took a four-week break. Here's what I've placed in front of you, kind of to put a frame around the Sermon on the Mount. What we see in the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus is calling Christians to live distinctly and differently in God's kingdom. Uh, about a year and a half ago, we had a Pastor Rob Chisholm come, and uh, he said something that has stuck with me. He's like, he's given us permission to, to be weird. He's like, go ahead and be weird. <laughs> and I'm like, at first, I'm kind of like. What do you mean weird? I don't want to be weird. (laughs) No one wants to be weird. But this is kind of the point he was making, like Christians are, to be distinct in God's kingdom. We live differently. And as you you can tell, as we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount, we've been challenged over and over to be a distinct people. If you take the Sermon on the Mount seriously, then I I think it's impossible to not conclude the Lord Jesus is calling us to be different. So I think we are, we are taking it seriously, so I think we take the charge just as serious. We are different. Or as the Apostle Peter put it right, we are to be a peculiar people. If you live in such a way, uh, then you're going to look different from the world, and that's okay. That probably means you're living rightly before the Lord. Uh, to make the point from a positive direction, when you allow the Holy Spirit to apply the gospel to your heart and life, these teachings from the Sermon on the Mount are an absolute joy to follow. So I'm going to pray because I I absolutely need God's help this morning as we look at this very important topic, the topic of forgiveness. Uh, Join me in a quick prayer. Heavenly Father, I must confess my absolute um, dependence upon you this morning, and specifically as it pertains to preaching your word. You have spoken. And Lord, I need to do my level best to be faithful. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, help me to that end. Thank you for these precious folks in front of me this morning. I pray that they would see what you have said. Lord, I pray that you keep air from my mouth, that only truth would go forth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This last week, I've been thinking a lot about my marriage. I haven't told you about this. A surprise. I've right. been thinking a lot about marriage, about my marriage to Sharice. Um, we've been married for over 15 years, and it's been an incredible 15 years. And these aren't brownie points, honey, just, just honest. It's been an incredible 15 years. There's been ups and downs. Yes, there's been times when Sharice and I have disagreed with one another, certainly. And yes, there have been moments when we have sinned against one another. So after 15 years of marriage, how would I like to define our marriage? I think I could appeal to one of the most significant ways to define a marriage with this one word, forgiveness. John Calvin said that the whole gospel is contained under the headings of the whole gospel under the headings of repentance and forgiveness. If Sharice and I cannot define the last 15 years of our marriage with the word forgiveness, then I hope and pray that the next 15 years may be defined with the word forgiveness. Perhaps the ultimate litmus test to evaluate the health of a marriage is to see if forgiveness is being confessed and received. Of course, the importance of forgiveness applies to like all relationships. The practice of forgiveness is a, a soothing balm that, be can, that be can be used when cracks between, when there's cracks between two people in a relationship. You see, God created you to be in relationship with other people. God did not create people to be in isolation. We're in relationship with other people. As I mentioned, Sharice and I are in a marriage relationship. Chloe and Izzy have a relationship as daughters. This body is in relationship with one another. But here's the deal about all these relationships. We're sinners. (laughs) Right? Newsflash. You're a sinner. Sean Powers is a sinner. I've sinned against Sharice. I have sinned against my children. There have been times more than I'd like to have happened. There have been times when when I have gone to seek forgiveness from Chloe and Izzy because I had sinned against them. Perhaps I've sinned against you. Here's the unquestioned fact of the day. I have certainly sinned against God. And I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness. So what is forgiveness? Here's a good definition from Pastor Kevin DeYoung. If you want a good book on the the Lord's Prayer, I recommend this. It's just called The Lord's Prayer. Here's what he said. Forgiveness is something like canceling a debt or remitting a payment. That is the basic idea, says DeYoung. When God forgives us, he says, I will not make you pay me what you owe me. When we forgive others, we say something similar. I will not demand of you the moral payment that is rightfully mine. As DeYoung continues to point out in his book On the Lord's Prayer, forgiveness is not the absence of consequences. Right? Someone may do something wrong, be granted forgiveness, and go to jail. It's not the absence of consequences. Forgiveness does not eliminate authority structures. For example, the authority structure between a parent and a child, right? I've sinned against my children, but that structure doesn't, doesn't the negate it's still there forgiveness is not the absence of judgment forgiveness can put away bitterness and judgmentalism but forgiveness does not necessarily negate the judgment further forgiveness is not a unilateral moment where forgiveness is granted to put emotions under control right several years ago while i was pastor in the Twin Cities. Um, A gentleman approached me after church, and none of you know this person, so I'm not telling a story that. You're like, oh, I remember that. Um, He approached me after church and he said he wanted to forgive me for something he did against me. And I'm just kind of like, what? (laughs) What's going on here? What did he do? I'm not quite sure. Uh, Perhaps it was an unkind thought that he had. I don't know but this person was treating the act of forgiveness kind of as a therapeutic for himself. At least that's how I kind of read the situation. It seems to me this individual needed to approach God to sort out what was going on in his heart, not me. Like a similar dynamic um, often happens when I think about distant past hurt, right? I've been hurt by someone. And I have to go to the Lord over and over and over and over again to remind myself I have forgiven that person. Right? As we see in Holy Scripture, forgiveness is not a therapeutic, but is a transaction between two people. Uh, One person has been sinned against against another, and the other person has been committing the sin or been receiving the sin. Uh, The other person could be God or it could be a human being. Forgiveness is more of a relational transaction than anything else. It is noteworthy that our Lord tells us to pray about forgiveness in in this prayer, right? From my perspective, initially at least, it seemed odd to pray for forgiveness. Like when was the last time you prayed about forgiveness without reciting the Lord's Prayer? I mean, hopefully you have. We tend to kind of contain it there. Lord, how do you shake my heart to be a forgiving person? Things like that. But here we read about the need to pray for forgiveness, verse 12, and this petition is reinforced and clarified in verses 14 and 15. These other petitions don't receive the clarification that forgiveness does. So I have to believe Jesus is aiming for our hearts so that we may be a forgiving people who are living in his kingdom. If we step back for a moment and survey the entirety of Holy Scripture, we will see that you cannot get away from the theme of forgiveness. And no wonder, because where there is sin, there is a need for forgiveness. Consider these beloved characters in the Bible who needed to be forgiven. One of the most obvious examples would be King David. He was an adulterer and a murderer. After committing these grievous sins, King David writes, Psalm 51. Note here before I read it. King David would suffer the consequences for his sins, right? When you look at the ark of his kingdom, things started going downhill after he committed adultery and murder. But here's what he said. Have mercy on me, O God. And look where he appeals. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You hear in these verses the plea to be forgiven along with the assurance of forgiveness. On what basis does he plead? His plea is predicated upon the character of God. About who God is. God is merciful. God is loving. Only God can cleanse. And then in the following verse of this psalm, we read about David's deep awareness of sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only Have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight? David has a deep, deep awareness of his sin. He didn't have a deep awareness while he sinned, which is why he sinned, right? At the moment, there was a refusal to be aware But David does come to the point where he knows what he has done. David says he has sinned against God, not because he hasn't sinned against others. He has sinned against others, certainly. But he knows that at the end of the day, God is the one who levies the judgment upon his life. God is the one who extends mercy, forgiveness, and judgment. Here's another example of a person who is in need of forgiveness. Peter denied Jesus at the time when a friend should not bail. When Peter was convicted of his sins, he repented. We read in Matthew 26, verse 75, that he wept bitterly for denying his Lord and Savior, not once, not twice, but three times. Talk about a habitual sin, at least in the moment. King Solomon was full of pride, and in 2 Chronicles 6, we read how he sought forgiveness because of his pride. Paul tortured and likely killed Christians, and you can't miss his desperate pleas to be forgiven over and over as you read his epistles. Abraham lied, and he needed to be forgiven. Thomas doubted, and he needed to be forgiven. And Moses lacked faith. And he needed to be forgiven as well. All these people and more were sinners in need of forgiveness. But there's more to say about forgiveness as we look at Holy Scripture. Israel was in constant need of forgiveness because of what? Their constant idolatry. God kept bailing them out and Israel would be like, okay, we're going to go worship another God. And God's like, guys, come on. An entire sacrificial system was created by God for Israel so they could understand the depth of their sin and their need to repent and then be forgiven. Now, my, my wife and kids, I think, might think I'm crazy sometimes because I mumble under my breath. And it's like, what is he saying? Here's what I'm saying. It's like, she's like, yeah, he's crazy. Here's, here's what I'm saying oftentimes. Lord, forgive me my sin. Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. So, just so you know that's what I'm mumbling, right? Because I know, because like these characters from the Bible, I know I'm a, I'm a wretched sinner in need of forgiveness, and who has been forgiven. So we should not be shocked when we arrive arrive at the Lord's prayer, and the theme of forgiveness just kind of stands out. We read in verse twelve, and forgive us of our debts, as we also have forgiven our. Debtors. Now, some of you have grown up with that word debt being trespass. We'll talk about the distinction here at the end of the sermon because there's there's some nuance here. And I'm gonna connect verses verse 12 to verse 14 and 15 in a moment, but notice the vertical and horizontal elements of forgiveness here. Vertically, in your relationship God, with God, you are to pray something to the effect of, oh Heavenly Father, my sin has created a massive debt that I cannot pay back. Please forgive my debt. So a few thoughts on the vertical transaction of forgiveness. Some people will argue that if a person is justified, there's no need to plead for forgiveness because God has already forgiven you. Now, is it true that your past, present, and future sin has been forgiven through the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross? Absolutely, 100%. That is a fact. I have preached that and I'll continue to preach that. Christian, you have been forgiven. Praise God and amen. But is it also true we must continue to seek forgiveness through confession and repentance? 1,000%. One of the clearest passages in the Bible about living a lifestyle of confession and repentance is John. Is 1 John 1, to 7-10. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Like there's the assurance right there. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So you see, see what he's doing there. He's, he's telling you, Christian, you're still a sinner. You've been forgiven, but be aware. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, to wash us completely clean from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar, and his word is not in us. Jesus has forgiven you, Christian, but sin is a nagging gnat that constantly needs to be swatted away. Until Jesus returns, second advent, Sin is a part of this world. If you do not believe that you are a sinner, then you cannot know God. And the concept of forgiveness is completely foreign. Like, here's a life, I think, a life-changing truth for you. Because of remaining sin, you need to seek forgiveness of your sins while at the same time being assured that God has pardoned you from your sins through the atoning death of Jesus Christ. Is this a paradox? Yes, it is. It absolutely is. Many biblical truths are paradoxical. But the bottom line is this. A person will know little to nothing about horizontal forgiveness like this relational component between you and other people if there is a lack of understanding of the vertical need for forgiveness between you and God so let's dig a little deeper about what God needs to forgive in your life here's an observation from the Sermon on the Mount about how the forgiveness of God is distinct from the forgiveness like say in our culture like let's let's compare it to something because I think when you compare it you truly see, the depth of forgiveness from God. When and where do you see forgiveness on display, say, in your news, right? Like you're scrolling through social media, right? Where do you see that? At best, we hear statements like, hey, I'm sorry. Hey, man, I know I said that thing to you. My bad, my bad. Hey, I know I should have done that thing that I promised you that I would do and I didn't get to it. That's on me, right? I've made those statements a lot. You know, I'm sure you had too, something to that effect. But I wonder, do these words reach the bar of biblical forgiveness? I will leave the question hanging for a moment. And that was at best, you know. At worst, when one person owes another person a debt, the debt is compounded in our culture. It's like a credit card company that owes your debt. And now, not only do they owe your debt, they're going to charge you interest. Monthly interest. The debt is going to be held over your, over your life as long as possible. How about this one? We regularly see in our culture that when a person does or says something deemed offensive, forgiveness just seems elusive when someone is shamed for committing a sin uh, against the culture the alleged offender is bullied into posting an apology on social media and then needs to give money to a specific charitable organization atoning for sin in our culture has become extremely predictable extremely predictable look culture is going to do whatever it wants to do however i think the more obnoxious the cultural path of forgiveness becomes, the more attractive and beautiful and glorious is biblical forgiveness. So, you want to go down that road? Have at it. Because we have something much more glorious. Forgiveness from God is one of the defining marks of the Christian faith. Here's a precious truth from Psalm 103. As far as the, I don't know where the east is, the east, right? The east is from the west. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. Our Lord tells us to continue to pray for forgiveness because praying for forgiveness will keep the heart humble and dependent upon God. Here's another perspective-changing reminder about praying for forgiveness. Is it true that God is a judge? Think courtroom, right? Yes. God judges the entire world. One of the main themes of the entire book of Revelation is that God will judge. Our historic creeds and confessions rightly state that God will judge the living and the dead. But in this prayer, and especially in today's petition, you must remember that you are praying to a father. God is a gracious Father who declares His sons and daughters justified and forgiven. When I I preach or teach, I have a penchant for saying that Christians are, are wretched sinners. Redeemed but a wretched sinner nonetheless. The reason why it is essential to know you are a wretched sinner is to see the magnitude of the Father's forgiveness. When you minimize sin in your life, you underestimate what it costs the the Father to secure your forgiveness. Christian, you are forgiven, which helps, helps you to make sense of the second part of verse 12 as we also have forgiven our debtors. God's people forgive because they know they have been forgiven. Because of God's mercy, God's people know that they are called to respond with mercy. What we see in verse 12 is that Christians should not, should not separate the vertical relationship with God from the horizontal relationships in your life. Your vertical relationship with God directly impacts every relationship in your life. Therefore, you pray to God that your heart will take the shape of Christ so that in the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be quick to forgive over and over and over and over and over. In in Matthew 18, Jesus tells a parable to Peter. And I assume by the end of the parable, other people have joined. In this parable about forgiveness, he he, he makes a very pointed effort to talk to us what forgiveness is and is not. Here's how it begins. Then Peter came up to him and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Right? How often? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. It's kind of speaking hyperbole here. If I stopped here and did not explain the following parable, you know, the, the verses that come after this passage, we can conclude the priority of forgiveness in the Christian life. We can be like, whoa, we got to forgive. we gotta, we got to keep doing it. Jesus is not trying to give us a correct number, of course, but we're to forgive over and over and over again. Christians must be quick to forgive. But the following parable really makes the point. Here are the cliff notes of what it looks like to forgive in God's kingdom. And then I'll end this parable by actually reading the second half. Jesus tells the story of a king who is going to settle accounts, right? we got a king. He's going to settle accounts. The king had given out loans, and it was time for these people, for these servants, to pay the king back. It's like, it's like you took a loan out for a car, and all of a sudden the bank is showing up being like, it's payday. And there was one man who owed the king 10,000 talents. And for the sake of the story, let's say talents just means money. Well, the man could not pay back the king. The king threatened to to sell the man, sell him as an individual, as a slave, and his family, and he would take that money, and that money would be the payback. The man, as the parable goes, fell to his knees and pleaded with the king. And if I was in his situation... I certainly would have pleaded as well. He pleaded for the king to be patient, and in time, the servant says, he'll pay the king back. Now, out of pity, we read, the man was released and forgiven of his debt by the king. What a great parable about forgiveness! If I stop right now, the parable seems to end on another happy note. But Jesus does not stop at highlighting the importance of forgiveness. Now, let's pick up the parable in verse 28 of Matthew 18. But when that same servant went out, so he was released, now he went out. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Like, he owed 10,000 to the king, now he's going to get the guy who owes him a hundred He began to choke him, saying, could you just imagine this? began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. Certainly, you can see the hypocrisy of the servant, who was forgiven by the king. The story goes on. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay back the debt. When his fellow servants saw that what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They were seeing the hypocrisy. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master, the king, summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. I think it's fair to say there are consequences when you do not forgive. Perhaps you will not be put into a physical jail, but certainly it will feel like you are Internally, in prison when you do not forgive. Our Lord Jesus ends the parable with this statement. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. We're not talking about, Jesus is not talking about saying I'm sorry. Sorry about that. My bad. Something more, something deeper. When it comes to this when it comes to the exhortation for you to forgive, Jesus is not messing around. Some of the most direct statements from Christ in the Gospels are on the topic of forgiveness. A reason why Jesus is blunt on this topic is that you, Christian, are God's representative here on earth in his kingdom. You are to forgive as your heavenly Father has forgiven you. the tension created from the words of Christ is between the abundance of God's forgiveness in yours and mine potential lack of forgiveness is Jesus suggesting that forgiveness is conditional right you got the word if In other words, will God only forgive you if you forgive others? Like The same tension comes after the Lord's Prayer in verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You see the tension there? Like, what's going on? Here's what you need to know about verses 14 and 15. You need to know that Jesus is not claiming God's unwillingness to forgive obstinate sinners, but telling us about our lack of capacity to receive such forgiveness. A person who knows and receives that they have been forgiven will eagerly forgive others quickly. It is interesting to ask if this clause is conditional, but that kind of question actually misses the point. We know the forgiveness of God is not fickle and half hearted. But in grace, Jesus grabs the cattle prod, right? In grace, he grabs it and it helps us to see the importance and magnitude of forgiveness in our horizontal relationships. Like, guys, I have forgiven you. Now go, go do likewise. Go. A theologian, I think, D.A. Carson places verses 14 and 15 in proper context. He says, Jesus sees no incongruity inc- in the actions of a heavenly Father who forgives so bountifully and punishes so ruthlessly, ruthlessly, and neither should we. Indeed, it is precisely because He is a God of such compassion and mercy that He cannot possibly accept as His those devoid of compassion and mercy. The people of God, there's another way to say it, the people of God will be known by their fruit. They are known by how much they eagerly forgive when sinned against. When we pray about forgiveness, we are praying for the awareness and the capacity to forgive at any moment. It's helpful to note uh, the slight change from verse 12 and what we see the parable of the unforgiving servant. In verse twelve, in the parable, the, the offense is represented by this word debt, right? So imagine a scale with two ends, an old fashioned scale, right? Your debt and sin against God is like mashing at one of the scale; it's just bottomed out, and no matter how many good things you did, you you've done in life, it's just the scale is just dropping. The only way for your debt to be dealt with is forgiveness. In verses 14 and 15 of Matthew 6, another word is used, trespass. The word trespass is meant to indicate that you have done something you should not have done or you did not do something you know you should have done. The Gospel of Luke also recounts the Lord's Prayer. And in the Gospel of Luke, the word sin, amartia, is used. Now at the end of the day, each word is appropriate and helpful. You need to be forgiven of your debts, your trespasses, and your sins. You need to forgive others their debts, their trespasses, and their sins. Now, here's the challenge for all of us this morning. Applying forgiveness in your life. It's good to hear about it. It's good to read it in the Lord's Prayer. But man, isn't the application the hardest part? Extending forgiveness, right? receiving forgiveness. First, have you sinned against God? Like literally, you can name that sin before the Lord in prayer. Approach your Heavenly Father with confession and repentance. He has forgiven you, so walk in the reality of His forgiveness. I found this quote, again from... Kevin DeYoung helpful. I want to share it with you. Are you keeping from God all that you should place at his feet? Perhaps your relationship with God is ruptured because you have not confessed your sins. Have you become blind to your sins because you never think to include this fifth petition in your prayers? Are you avoiding an honest admission of what you are really, what you've really been doing? Nothing be kept hidden from his sight. Don't you want to know the joy of a clean conscience and restored relationship with your Heavenly Father? And he leaves, it, leaves the question kind of hanging out there for you. Nothing is hidden from God. Right? Nothing is hidden from God. He knows your sin, and still, He calls you to come to Him. Like, He knows it, and He still calls you, come to me, come to me. He calls us to lay it all down at His feet. Right? Here's a helpful tip. When you are confessing sin before God, open up your Bible, right? Perhaps open it up to Psalm 51 and use it as a guide to confession. I mean, you don't need to be a murderer or adulterer to open up to Psalm 51, right? But you see the principles, you see who you are relying on for forgiveness. It's the character of God in which you look to. Now, that was the first thing. Second thing, how are your horizontal relationships doing these days? Right? If you have clearly sinned against another person, take the opportunity to apply the gospel. Take the opportunity to seek forgiveness because you know what it means for Christ to forgive you. Right? Perhaps you've sinned against a person who is not a Christian. Right? We all got relationships with people who aren't Christians, and we can sin against them as well. Guess what? You have an incredible moment to do something different in their world. Right? You can humble yourself and show them Christ. You can show them what the gospel has done in your life. I can imagine, you're seeking forgiveness. How does that happen? Well, let me tell you about Jesus. (laughs) Let me tell you about a gracious Father who has forgiven me because of what Christ has done. If you've been sinned against, you need to be quick to forgive. That couldn't be more clear. You need to be ready for forgive, not seven times, but what Jesus says, 77 times. Again, hyperbole, over and over and over. Finally, I wanna mention the power of forgiveness. Forgiveness might not restore a relationship, like when there's conflict and you know, there's forgiveness, it might not restore a relationship to what it once was. But here's what it does do. It squashes bitterness. Those, those thoughts that you're having about another person, right? forgiveness just kind of removes those. It keeps your heart soft. It has the power to remove a weight off the person who needs to be forgiven and the person who has actually extended forgiveness. In my experience of years walking with the Lord, there is not another transaction more potent than forgiveness. A broken relationship, either with God or with another person, can be mended by confession, repentance, and forgiveness. When these steps are taken, you know what's going on in your life? The gospel is at work in your life, in your heart, and in, in your actions as well. So we can pray with Matthew 6:12 in mind: O oh, Heavenly Father, forgive us of our debts